Welcome to The Forbes Factor, featuring celebrity TV host, million-dollar entrepreneur, and renowned health and fitness superstar, Forbes Riley, a familiar face from TV, as well as one of today's most sought-after female motivational speakers today. You'll connect with some of the top experts in health and fitness, business, and personal development, as well as some surprise celebrities, all sharing their insight, tips, and tricks to finding true happiness. Now, here's your host, Forbes Riley. Well, hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Forbes Factor. Uh, For those of you who have been playing along with my life, you do know that last week I was awarded an honorary doctorate. I legally get to say my name is Dr. Forbes Riley. And if you want massive imposter syndrome, I am feeling it all over the place. Same same thing when you get married, you know, you have to change your name. Uh, But it was a phenomenal ceremony. You see it live on Facebook. Uh, Jody Watley, the Grammy award-winning singer also got awarded as did several others. And I knew that was coming. I had the cap and the gown on and I haven't graduated anything in 30 some odd years. It was wild. Um, And I don't know that I, expected the amount of emotion that was happening. But there was a lot of pomp and circumstance, way more than when I graduated college, which was fascinating. Uh, I worked a lifetime to get to this point, as did all the other women and men. It was one man because it was we were celebrating also Women's Month. Uh, the gentleman became a doctor of theology and quite lovely. There was also a state representative there, uh, Billy Mitchell, who singled me out and has invited me back to be honored on the steps of the Georgia Capitol in June. I was the only one invited to do a speech. And I took that opportunity to leverage the gift that I've been given, which is this powerful communication, and then having great mentors like Les Brown say, I'm gonna amp up your speaking ability and rock the room. It was the right time. Someone had said at the beginning of the afternoon that can you imagine that you were destined to be here? And so to that end, I shared stories of the bonus beautiful boy that I raised for 12 years who was murdered. And I shared stories of inclusion that I've dealt with in my life, exclusion, prejudice, things that just seemed to matter so much at that moment as though all the pain that I'd lived through in my life had come to that moment. And to share it with that audience was overwhelming. I wish for all of you that in your life you get awards. My guest here has also been awarded. He understands what that feels like. I used to love to get awards. One, it's nice to have your peers acknowledge you, but I love the speech parts. I love to make that moment matter. And then they surprised me and there was a giant framed Lifetime Achievement Award issued by President Biden and Kamala Harris. Their pictures are on it. There is a medal on the, in this post. I don't have it yet. It was so big I couldn't get it on the plane. And a letter from the, the, um, the United States government. I guess they, I mean, I don't think that President Biden said, oh, Forbes, I love you kind of thing. But I do think it goes through a committee and I don't think they give those out lightly. And I watched the videotape, I broke down. I just had that moment of, wow, because I think as I encourage all of you to figure out why you're here. You know, Les had said to me, there's two great moments in your life, the day you're born and the day you figure out why you were born. Wow. And so all that came to a head. I'm still reveling in this. I just finished my Forbes Factor Live, a five day live event that I do here in my television studio where I get to transform lives and, and really, inject people with a sense of positive positivity and curiosity that I've been blessed and cursed with my entire life. 
And so thank you for all of you who participated. I want to give you a shout out to Dr. Jackie Mohair and my beautiful Pasha Carter for nominating me and making this happen. It is not lightly that I take the honor and thank you, thank you, and thank you. All right, so to today's show, I'm devoting an entire hour. You know, I have a birthday coming up this month, April 25th, and I am in my, I'm turning 62 which means I was born in a time, not the horse and buggy, thank you, but where the phone was definitely attached to the wall. And 1969, I watched live black and white, a guy land on the moon on a black and white television. And so I'm gonna say things have changed a little. You know, I have more power in my hand holding my cell phone than they had getting that guy to the moon. Fascinating. And then the internet happened and communication skills and apps and programs and oh my gosh, do you know your spreadsheet and your presentation skills and social media popped up and wow. I feel like my grandmother who went from a horse and buggy to sitting in an airplane. How about that for crazy, right? And so my guest today is brilliant at what he does. You know, getting your, your, your information out there. I've made a living guys. I've grossed two and a half billion dollars on a thing they no longer seem to use. It's called what? Oh, it's called a television. Yeah, right. I did things called infomercials, 30 minute commercials. And it's funny because I've had Ty Lopez and, and uh, Ryan Dyson and Perry Belcher say, you know, we studied what you did. I was there at the forefront, one of the pioneers of the infomercial industry, live home shopping. And it's morphed into something new that I don't quite have a handle on. And so my guest today is going to shine light on this for not only me, but for all my listeners. He is one of the top ranked Google ad agency experts. He's award winning and he's just got a beautiful energy. Please welcome to the stage, Kasim Aslam. Thank you so much for having me. I'm grateful to you. Yeah. So, you know, I'm looking at you and I'm going, wow, I want to hear some insight into how you started your journey. I failed at everything twice. And, uh, and then I landed here. I, you know, it's funny, this is something worth testing. If you ever meet a digital marketer, um, bet money, they probably failed at other entrepreneurial endeavors. And they, they landed with marketing because while the rest of the business failed them, they, they found themselves with a skill set that they could utilize for other people. So that's more or less my story in a nutshell. How old are you? 36. All right, so my daughter just turned 19. She traveled with me my whole life and she's met everyone. And there was a digital marketing college for a little while. I won't say the name of it, it's no longer existing. But she managed to get involved in that. And she has gotten that skills, started doing drop shipping when she was 12. And today, thanks to the pandemic, she became the CEO of my company and took all my offline trainings online. But I'd always used, I won't say the name of the, the funnel system that we use, but we'd always built funnels kind of as a joke. She'd made $10,000, $20,000 here and there. And then she said, mom, you need to organize this. Cause I, I talked to a bunch of digital marketers and agencies and I never found the right partner, shall we say. I found people who happily took my money and just didn't deliver or I didn't know what to ask or who knows what the reason was. And we started this company. We created our first course and really launched it the right way. And the first day I woke up after my very first webinar, there was 25K in the account. And I said to her very naively, what does K stand for? <laughs> Turns out it was 25 grand the first day in business, 100,000 100, the first month in business. So whatever you guys know and understand, God bless you. Yeah, well, I, it's interesting because um, what everybody knows is it pales in comparison to what they pretend they know. And my, my, and I'm, I hate to slander my own environment, but the truth is um, you, you have to navigate around quite a bit in the way of uh, 
false information. So it's it's not uncommon for people to say exactly what you just said. Well, you know, I've had an agency, they took my money, they didn't have results, there wasn't performance. And that's because the barrier to entry is so low. You know, every kid with a laptop and a weekend course is now a digital marketer. You throw a rock and you're going to hit one. Um, and so it, it it's incumbent upon whoever it is that's hiring the expert to know enough to be able to vet the expert. And that's why I do talks like this. I like to let people know, here's what to look for, here's what to look out for, uh, here are the questions you can ask, those types of things. Yeah, so I represent a whole lot of very um, wonderful entrepreneurs. I have a lot of trainings. I specialize in teaching them how to verbally pitch, but everyone also then needs to take it into this digital marketing world. So let's start with where do we start? We have a business, a coaching business, a product, a service, an idea. What do you recommend we do? Well, the very first thing I want to do is, is, is set the mindset. You know, I think paradigm is really important. I think the way you think about things is really important. And um, folks that think, you know, digital marketing or internet marketing is different or separate, uh, I think that they approach it the wrong way. Marketing is relationship building. Digital marketing is just relationship building online. So you're using digital tools, but I, I feel like, you know, far too often that forces us into a position where we sterilize what it is that we think we're doing. I actually think digital marketing is far more intimate than traditional marketing. If you think about where your phone goes with you and, you know, where you are when you're doing these brow the, the, the browsing and, and, and the, the type of engagement, um, it's right there in your face. And so in order to, in order to market to somebody, you have to first care about them. Um, you have to care about them enough to want to build a relationship with them because that's what digital marketing is. It's relationship building online. And uh, I feel very strongly that if you don't care for somebody, you don't deserve their business. And I know that sounds a little Mr. Rogers. I'm not trying to be naive or quixotic, but we're finding more and more that um, consumers are more educated than ever. They have more access to information than ever. And people that aren't approaching marketing with the right frame of mind, I think they're, they're doomed and destined to fail. So I'm gonna pause there and see if I've turned you off and then I can get into the kind of the nitty gritty. I'm just impressed that you know Mr. Rogers. That's cool. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, it's interesting because I, when I, I, have, I have a fitness product here. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Have you seen my spin gym, which I've sold two and a half million of on home shopping? I haven't seen that, no ma'am. Oh my God, well I need to gift you one because it's the coolest thing ever. It's sitting in front of a Zoom camera. You shouldn't be sitting more than one hour doing this, but I've got the sexiest arms and abs because of this crazy tool. And at one point I sold home shopping. One of my best days was I sold 64,000 in one day. Pretty good at this pitching thing. Uh, and I got, hundreds of thousands of emails. Now, back then I didn't love emails. I got, I thought they were kind of annoying me personally, which is never a good way to judge anything. And so I never sent them a follow-up email. I didn't want to bother them. Can you imagine having hundreds of thousands of emails and not using them? Mm. Because just what you said, I didn't realize that customers need to be loved on and nurtured. And so if I gave you a list of those emails and said, these people have bought a product and really admire what we're doing, what would you do? Would you develop a strategy? What would you do? So you want to have a conversation with somebody that leads them to a predictable end result in marketing that we refer to the marketing funnel. Everybody's heard the term, whether or not they're, they're, you know, uh, 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 a marketing expert or not, the funnel isn't something marketers invented. It's the natural sequence to a sales decision. And it, it, you know, it predates language. It's just the way that humans make decisions. And at the top of the funnel is awareness. At the middle of the funnel is consideration. And at the bottom of the funnel is the decision point. And you know, there's more nuance to that. You can have 15 phases in your funnel if you want to. But every conversation you have with a new prospect is just a funneled conversation. And if you are listening, if you're listening properly and you're empathizing, the hope would be that 
whatever it is that you have to offer is actually of service to this person. And I'm stealing from a friend, uh, Rachel Miller. She says that it's not selling if it's serving, um, which I, which I really like. And to steal from another friend, Chris Mercer, who's the world authority in measurement. He says that measurement is how we listen and marketing is how we respond. And so to answer your question directly, I've got this list of emails from you. We would need to define your funnel. So now it's Forbes. What is the very first thing that people need to understand in order to move to the consideration phase? And what's interesting about that is that's both attracting and repelling. So what I like to do is I like to do negative selling. And I think digital marketing is more successful when it's negative. And, and you say things like, hey, this isn't right for you if. You might not want this if. And so looking at your fitness product, and, and, and what's nice about that is, is people respond very strongly to truth. It's one of the reasons that I think you've done so well because you have such an authentic personality. Um, and if you, if you approach them with the truth right out of the gate and you filter them down, uh, the, the business owner's inclination is to make the funnel a cylinder. You don't want that. You don't want to slam everybody at the top of the funnel into the middle of the funnel. So the atrophy that people look at and they get depressed by, that's actually a really, really, really good thing. So we want to craft the conversation that gets them from the top to the middle and from the middle to the bottom. And it's just narrative building. You're writing a script, almost like you're writing a movie. See, this is fascinating. We, when we were doing infomercials, this isn't the narrative that we had. And I'll tell you why. Because in my thinking, where I spent a bulk of my professional career, was we were interrupting you in the middle of the night. And there was a little bit of shock value there. And the whole, but wait, there's more. Or Billy Mays yelling at you in the, in the camera. My technique was to engage you personally into my story and love on you. Very different energies. Billy and I had a massive uh, conversation on a reality show where he believed that he was right. And I guess he was for two minutes. You know, you're interrupting somebody's soap opera going, hey, but wait, there's more. And I said, Billy, if I'm a woman, I can't yell at you. If I yell at you from a television, you're hearing your mother, your sister, your wife, your girlfriend nag at you. And that's not a good thing. And so I had this softer half hour approach that was wildly effective. You're right. I loved on you, got you to want something and then gave it to you. Uh, but I didn't really get to meet these people. And I think that's the cool thing. And I love your sensibility. When I meet smart marketers like you, they're wildly genuine. And that was so surprising to me because infomercial marketers are wildly cold and distant. A very, that's the ultimate difference that I have found. And it's been a huge awakening because when I talk to people just like you, we're really good at what you do. And I'm talking about the Perry Belchers, Ryan Dice, and people that you know and respect. They're, they're like great humans. Mm. Like a lot, like you said, you understand the person you're serving and want to be around. Otherwise your customers will disappear, correct? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's impossible to hide in today's day and age. You can do one bad thing one time and get away with it. And then the second time, everybody's going to know. And so I just recommend not cashing that check at all. Ooh, that's interesting. Why do you do what you do? <laughs> um, I care for people and I'm good with the digital facet, understanding, understanding human psychology from, um, from recorded measurements. So when you land on a web page, that's a pretty natural act, but that can tell us about so many things. And, and I feel like it just, it falls right back to empathy. It's like, why is this person doing what they're doing? And how do we help them solve whatever problem it is that we're working to help them solve? Uh, and I think that digital marketing is the only way to do that at scale. Solving problems is relatively easy. You can do that for a lot of people one at a time. Sol solving problems for people at scale, it takes tools that are scalable. And at the moment, that happens to be this mechanism here that we're talking about. Talk to me about Solutions 8. You're the CEO of this company. What does the company do and why have a company? Uh, I have the number one ranked Google Ads agency on the planet. Um, at the risk of sounding arrogant, nobody knows what we know when it comes to Google Ads. 
Um, we have $54 million under uh, observation or management, and we help people manage their Google ad spend within the Google ads ecosystem. Um, I think that Google is the most powerful mechanism on the planet. I don't think people really understand what Google is or how it works. If you were to ask, actually, I'll ask you, Forbes, if you don't mind, if you were to explain to somebody who's been living in a cave, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, what is Google? What's your response? The number one ranked search engine in the world. You want to find something, you ask Google. That's exactly the, so that's the, 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 the answer that I wanted. And it's, it's why I think that Google is so grossly misunderstood because Google is, of course, a search engine. But if you think about the way that Google triangulates its information, Google is also Google Analytics. And Google Analytics lives on 99% of all front-facing websites on the planet. Google is Gmail, the largest free email tool in the world. Google is YouTube, the largest video repository in the world. Um, Google Tag Manager, Google Photos. Google knows what my children look like. Google Maps, Google knows how fast I drive. Uh, Google, it, this gets really uncomfortable, but it's important to know. Google knows who's in Narcotics Anonymous, who's cheating on their spouse, who's about to declare bankruptcy. Google told a woman she was pregnant before she knew she was pregnant based solely off of her search and communication patterns. And this happened in April of 2015. This was seven years ago. Google's intent is to understand and predict human behavior. And they're getting really freaking good at it. So much so that they're able to put products in front of you before you knew you wanted those products. Um, it's actually terrifying. There's something about Skynet machines are taking over and we might wanna be uh, concerned with privacy, but at the same time, when it comes to helping businesses, Google I think is the most valuable mechanism at our disposal. And the benefit, the thing that I love about it is it actually favors small businesses. It favors the niche, the micro, the, 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 the solo avatar. So you know the, the, these massive conglomerates that are trying to just throw money at it, they'll never be able to do what you can do because you have a specific message to a specific audience. And that's what people want. That's what they need. And so I really love Google ads because it helps. I have a heart for small business and it helps small business get in front of people and, and serve the people that they're, they're setting out to, to solve problems for. So someone says, I've got a small business. I want to get it out there. What's the, what's the pathway they go down? It's interesting because I wouldn't recommend running Google ads right away. And the reason I say it is because it's expensive. Um, 50% of all Google ads campaigns fail in the first 90 days. And the reason that they fail in the first 90 days is because um, you're being placed in a Coliseum, uh, you know, if you want to think about it that way, with all of your competitors, and we're going to see whether or not you survive. Uh, before you run any traffic, any paid traffic, Google, Facebook, you know, ad roll, whatever, um, you need to make sure that you have uh, messaging that's intact and, and will actually resonate with your prospects. You're targeting a specific avatar, which is really important. It's one of the biggest fail points I see with small businesses. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the nitty gritty, the nuts and bolts. Are you charging something that's accessible to me? And sometimes it's not just about charging. Uh, it's not about your price being low enough. Sometimes it's, is, are you charging enough? Um, does your sales team answer the phone? Can you actually fulfill on these orders? So what I'd recommend people do is, is pound the pavement get feet on the street. You know, if you say, Hey, I, you know, I create um, medical devices for dentists. Great. Go walk into 10 dental offices and have those conversations. And you might say, well, that's not scalable. One of my favorite stories is about the, the founder of Airbnb. He was in Silicon Valley trying to raise money for Airbnb and having a really difficult time. And he had a conversation with one investor in particular who said, well, how much do you know about the people that are using this tool? Cause he had a small beta going in New York and he, the, the, the gentleman, the founder couldn't answer any of those questions. So he moved to New York and he started staying 
at all the Airbnbs that were in his little beta system. And, and through that process was able to revamp his entire business. So in order to scale, you have to do the things that don't scale. So don't think to yourself like, oh, I need a million customers tomorrow. That's not the case. If you just started, you need to go find that one customer and get your hooks into them and love on them. And it might mean you're going to do it for free. You're going to over deliver. You're, you're going to do more than you might necessarily do for other people. But, but, but in order to serve people at mass, you need to have to first have solved the problem to serve people solo. So I'd say that that needs to be your very first step. And most businesses never take that step. They think like, here's my widget, my sprocket, my service, whatever. And then they open doors and they wonder like, oh, why aren't people flocking to me? And it's because they don't understand their customer. That, that's absolutely fascinating. So I, I love this concept. Um, you know, there's a new, there's, I guess it's on Showtime or one of the networks, the story of uh, Uber. Have you seen this? I haven't, no. Oh, it is definitely worth watching. It, and, you know, it's obviously not 100% true, but it is fascinating. And you talk about, you know, what they learned by taking Uber rides and how they, yeah, it's just a great test market. It was asked people all the time to test market. We've been uh, promoting this pitch classes for the last two years. And I think, that, I feel like with my team that it's been an experiment that we now know what everybody wants. I can answer any question that I couldn't have before because there's no way you can predict what you're putting out there is back what people want. Mm. I'm very excited. I'm launching a new product on Monday that I think will be the ultimate, it's called the ultimate pitch formula. And it's how I grossed two and a half billion dollars. I finally figured exactly how to teach it. I've got a crazy uh, gamification about a car and I'm excited to see how big we can scale this. That's so, so exciting. Got me at a really good time. All right, talk to me about perfect, uh, perpetual traffic. You also have a, a top-rated podcast, yes? Yeah, we're in the top half a percent of all podcasts in the world, um, and I'm I'm the co-host. The the gentleman who started it and has been the host for five years. His name is Ralph Burns. He runs Tier Eleven. I think they're the most respected Facebook agency on the planet. Um, and all we do is talk about how do you drive and service traffic once it gets to your digital properties, which sounds like a sterile topic, but I think it's the most important. It's the most important, it's the lifeblood of any marketing endeavor is, you know, it doesn't matter what you create, how good your video is, how good your product is, how good your funnel is. If people don't see it, it's worthless. It's the whole, if a tree falls in a forest, does anybody hear it thing? Um, and so we teach people how to drive traffic. Now, is that really your books behind you or you have a virtual set? I'm obsessed with um, uh, antique and collectible books. So I like, um, I've got quite a few of them. But that's my my little sad pathetic hobby is I'm trolling antique stores and estate sales looking for looking for books. What are the top three books you recommend as a business owner? Uh, Principles by Ray Dalio is phenomenal, not just as a business owner, but as a person. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey is one of my favorite of all time. I really love Covey. I love his, his principle center paradigm. And then Anti-Fragile by um, Nassim Nicholas Taleb is probably one of the most important books ever read, written, um, especially now given the tumult that we're going through, you know, the massive changes, both economically and technologically, the concept of answer fragility is something that I really think needs to be embedded into the entrepreneurial mindset. And um, could not to sound dramatic, because this is, you know, mildly hyperbolic, but could save lives, you know, and, and we're seeing I just saw it last year, iOS 14 rolled out destroyed you know, so many, so many businesses. Um, Apple basically came out and said, oh, hey, Facebook, you can't track the way that you've been tracking. And I had, tr I mean, hundreds of, of uh, friends, people that I knew, you know, through coaching, students, clients, whatever, whose ability to, to, to produce clientele just went away. And if they'd been focused on, you know, something more of, a, of, a, of an anti-fragile construct, I think that they would have been much, much better off. Wow. That is a very, very heady concept. I'm not quite sure what you're talking about, but it sounds really good. 
anytime anything goes wrong, you can be positioned to profit. And that sounds predatory and it's not meant to be, but you know, um, whenever well, there's a market, oh, wait, sorry. That's the, whole, that's the whole basis behind COVID. And so when, and I, I, you know what you're talking about, but when we talk about people, I've, I, I service a lot of junior entrepreneurs. It seems to be who's attracted to me. And I hear this sad conversation. I had to pivot to which I'm like, if that's the first time you've pivoted in your life, you led a very sheltered life. <laughs> Yeah. Right, and then billionaires understood that that pivot is they waited for that. That's the golden opportunity. That's where billionaires make more billions. And the average person is like, like you said, anti-fragile. Like they fell apart. Yep. I, impressed, impressed. I knew that little piece. I could at least hold that part of the conversation. You have a very high IQ, my friend. Well, I fake it really well, is all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you go to college? I didn't. No. Well, that's a lie. I went for like nine weeks or something, but I didn't last. Post-secondary education wasn't for me. I didn't really graduate high school. I went to a charter school that was started by a guy who's now in federal prison. You can Google him. His name is Scott Glassroot. So my school is something of a joke. That's fascinating. Well, no, I've got 19-year-old twins, and we're having this interesting conversation right now. When I was growing up, my parents would not been to college. It was the big thing, and I was pressured and, you know, to get to college. And I ended up graduating with two degrees in three years because I am wildly smart, and I see white spaces, and it just wasn't working for me. And so rather than leave, I said, let's make the best of this. And I left with only two things that I learned, and they're very powerful things, but it had nothing to do with school itself. And so now I've got these 19-year-olds who spent the last year of their high school upstairs homeschooling, something they never thought they'd do. I'm so grateful to the concept of COVID, not COVID itself. I actually lost my publishing partner. He died from COVID, so I'm not making light of that at all. But the turn of the universe worked for me greatly. I'm mm -hmm. closer to my twins than I've ever been. Uh, I'm glad that they weren't out partying like they had been with their friends the years before. I didn't realize how bad high school can be. Um, and my daughter, who started a business, she's grossed well into her seven figures. Her first year in business, it's extraordinary, as an 18-year-old, said, Mom, I can't afford to stop what I'm doing. I've got 15 families that we feed. I'm going down this road. And my son, who's a little bit more, it, I think one of the cool things about college, I said to him, is that you're going to meet a lot of other kids who are, are as smart as you. That's a good fishing pool to meet other people, as opposed to just hanging out in the local wherever you go to in the afternoon. So he is going down that road, but it's a fascinating conversation about the value of secondary education. And why would you even need to spend the first year of school taking prerequisites of things you're never gonna use? Mm. So I honor your, you know, and apparently you're doing pretty well, yes? I'm doing okay, yes ma'am. My wife and I had this discussion with our children too. We're, we're putting together our tax planning and um, college, accounts or you know nice little tax shelters but part of me is like well i don't think they're gonna go to college especially my kiddos are five and seven so when the time has come if universities are still around the entire structure will have been flipped on its head um i just i just don't buy that that's the right way or the best way to educate people anymore i have 70 employees and not a single one of them has ever been asked what their education was not one um, I don't care. And, and, and that sounds dismissive. I know that a lot of people go through a lot to get college done, but the problem is, is it, it's not a strong indication of whether or not you're going to be able to do this job or most jobs. So I, I prefer something more of a meritocratic environment. And so far that served us really well. How many employees did you say? 70, seven, zero. So here's my question to you, because this is what my daughter and I are both struggling from having not been to business college, at least that's what we're, the hallucination we're under, is how did you learn to build a business structure for yourself that works? And that's talking about hiring and onboarding and getting people into your world. How did that happen? Um, painfully, I, I, I'm obsessed with this concept of failing forward, which is John C. Maxwell. Uh, and you know, when we started this call, you said, how did you start? And I said, I, I failed at everything twice. I actually think that that's 
something of a badge. Um, and it's something that I, I want other entrepreneurs to begin embracing because I don't like the idea that I'm going to go and read this book or take this course and hire this mentor. And they're going to teach me how to build this business. What I'd rather do is go through a little bit of pain and iterate and then build it the way that I want it built. And that's, I, 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 I know it sounds a little bit like hubris maybe because why are you re reinventing the wheel? I don't want to neglect wisdom. And I think the wisdom is, is there. You almost can't ignore it. But when it comes to the nuances, everything should be done your way. You know, my entire staff is remote. Everybody works from home. They all work around the world. Um, I don't track time. I don't track paid time off. I don't screenshot desktops. And, and every, at every step, Everybody that knew better than me was like, oh, goodness, this, there's no way that this works. I have the best company culture in the world. Uh, and I, that's, you know, again, in my opinion. But, you know, everybody that works for us is, um, is thrilled to be there. I have folks beating down the door now trying to, to join our agency. Um, and and I, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I didn't listen to the, the conventional approach. So for you and your daughter, I'd say, go build it your way. Like, what do you want? What feels good to you? And um, it's magic when, it, when you see it manifest properly. But when you make a mistake, when you fail, don't be discouraged, be excited. Because you just learned how not to do it. And you only have to do that once or twice. And I tell people, everybody I hire, I say, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. This is the first time I've ever had a business this big. And that will always be true, hopefully, as long as my businesses continue to grow. And so, you know, tell me what you think. I, and and, and I, we've got a really strong culture of people that are willing to offer up improvement recommendations, let's say. I'm the dumbest person that works at my company. Everybody I hire is smarter than me. And I'm, and I'm really proud of that fact. And then I get out of their way and I let them do the things that they want to do. And, and, and they do it better than I ever would have. And then the very last thing I'll say, and I, I know I talk too much, Forbes, so feel free to just mute me. Um, I pay better than anybody is willing to pay in my industry. And, I, and if I can't do that, I go where I need to go geographically in order to make that true. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that employers overlook. Everybody's trying to get the most out of people for the least amount of money. Um, the Pareto distribution says that 20% of your staff is going to do 80% of the work. I just look for that 20% and I don't worry about hiring the other 80. But in order to do that, you need to take the concern of money off of the table. Wow, wow, uh, Mr. Keith Cunningham. That is exactly what he has said uh, in Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I had a chance to meet him. And that was one of the most amazing things that I had ever heard was that when he's interviewing somebody and they want $70,000 for the year, and then you listen to that and you kind of do the math and go, well, on that, they're not really going to have a vacation or they're not going to be able to do this, that, or anything with their family. I'm going to offer them 10000 over that. And of course, mm -hmm. now they're excited or whatever it would be. But, you know, usually employees wanting to, you know, less, would you work some more hours for less money is always the conversation. And I'm very excited by your, 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 and wow, how did you even learn that? It's empathy. It's like, where would I want to work? What would I need? I let my people have side hustles. I actually encourage it. In, in my world specifically, agents are like, you can't work anywhere else. You can only work for us. And what I say is, hey, I know I'm hiring entrepreneurs. I'd rather have an entrepreneur because you're going to understand my customer. So you should have a side hustle because it's going to help inform you. Now, generally speaking, Monday through Friday, nine to five, I'd like to be your priority. But otherwise, I'll help you. I, I refer work to some of my employees. I have a gentleman who just spun off and started his own agency. We shot a YouTube video together and I'm trying to push clients his way. And, and other employees see that and they know, okay, this is, and it's not like I'm, I'm you know, I'm not trying to be, um, I'm not trying to be naive. It, 
from a data-driven perspective, it's more productive. It works in my favor that an employee isn't trying to hide what it is that they're doing, that they can be right out in the open about it. Um, and then from a data-driven perspective, it actually works in your favor not to ask people to work 50, 60, 70 hours a week. There, there are, there's a litany of studies that show productivity drops. So I tell people, I want you a good 40 to 50 hours. And while you're here, you're going to work your ass off. But then I'd like you to take some time off, have fun, do something that you love to do, because I know that when you're here, your productivity is going to be much, 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 much higher. What do your parents do? <laughs> My mom is, I, I was raised by a blind single mother on social security. So we're, we're more or less welfare babies. Um, my mom was a registered nurse. She went blind when I was a kid. Um, my parents split up when I was uh, seven. And my dad, uh, he's a, an importer. He brings in uh, hand-knotted rugs from Pakistan, where he's from, and he sells rugs. He currently has the largest rug store in Arizona. Where do you think you got your moxie from? <laughs> I think that all prowess is trauma response. I'm sure that you probably have a really similar story. I think that if you look at anybody with a skill set or a strength, it's probably a response to trauma. Um, and so I had, you know, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Albuquerque, but I got beat up enough. I'm, a, you know, six foot five Pakistani with a name nobody can pronounce. Um, so. I think that my my wherewithal and uh, grit and honestly my ability to accept failure, um, not as not as an endpoint, but as a as a as a learning. I just got punched in the face a lot. Um, it's something I'm you know it's it's something I struggle with now because I have two children. I was a poor kid, but I'm a rich man, and I have two kids, and I did what every poor kid does, and I gave my kids all the things that I didn't have, and now I worry because I see. I see the signs, you know, my son for his birthday, he goes, oh, I want a hoverboard and a skateboard. And, and by the time he was done, I was like, who the hell do you think you are, boy? Like, <laughs> you, don't have, you don't have a job. So I got to find a way. And I, and I see, and I live in a wealthy area too. I live in Scottsdale and I see the children of wealthy people. And I, I feel that they're at a distinct disadvantage. And this isn't, I'm not, I'm not tr lobbing okay, stones okay, at them. Okay. Number one, you're preaching to the choir. And yeah. my baby, when I was 42 years old. I grew up as a poor kid, an ugly kid. Uh, and a lot of what I do is definitely reaction to trauma. And I teach that. Uh, Dad was in the hospital for three years growing up. He had a horrible accident. So, yeah, uh, this drive. My sister didn't get this, by the way. Very different drive. But part of it is who you are and then your response to your environment. And, of course, I have two kids now who are, you know, could have access to anything. One, I made it about traveling from us. We traveled. My kids have great experiences walking the Great Wall of China or being in Europe or wherever we happen to be. And I always, and mommy works very hard. I am the sole breadwinner. So they always saw that. And mm -hmm. I reminded them of that, that mommy is working and doing this. And I think they got to watch a lot of that, which is why both kids work with me, for me, and love me so much, because I know they know that I gave so much. But we spent a lot of time going to orphanages, going to where people are not as successful, um, a lot of local charities, a lot of just feeding homeless on the weekends, because their awareness of who they are was really priceless. Mm -hmm. And then I pulled them out of private school at eighth grade. They had a very surrounding high level private school. And I said, you know what? You guys are not seeing the world. I don't know if it was good, bad, or indifferent. I can't really tell you because they would have been a lot sheltered, but massive shift environment for public high school. And judging by how sensible and how wonderful they both are and respectful of money, definitely make sure you teach those lessons. Otherwise you will have very spoiled kids. That's great. So taking them out of private school is a really good note for me, Forbes, because my little guys are in a private school right now. And I, I do wonder about the people that they're exposed to and some of the things that they come home saying, you know, why don't we have our own iPads? Because you're five. That's why. Go outside, play with bugs. 
Well, and, and because you grew up that way and you know there's a sensibility to that. My daughter does talk about the fact they were they had to get iPads when they were eight years old, which like a thousand dollar iPad for a freaking eight year old. What are you? So what world are we living in? However, now my kids are brilliant at the computer. It turns out to be a great thing. But when they're taking private jets to go skiing, mommy, how come I can't go? Part of me bristled to that when mm-hmm. you could live in a bubble. Or we could let you know the real world because I guess at the end of the day, what kind of children, what kind of sensibility did I want them to understand? And again, choices that you make. And I expose them to a lot of things because if you don't, I've met a lot of those kids and it's not not who you want them to be ultimately. And they're young enough to, uh, I love how you're thinking. That's all, put that out there. Thank you for that, I appreciate it. And they're good little boys. I don't wanna paint the wrong picture. They're- I get um, it. I'm proud of them, but I've also maybe done them a bit of a disservice, you know, like, oh, you, I'm going to give you everything. And now I, now I need to peel back. It's okay. They're young enough to do that. Somebody on my Facebook just quoted you that says I was a poor kid, but a rich man. I love that. Uh, and in fact, it's funny because my kids are like, mom, you know, you could stop working and enjoy more. Why aren't you? That's a beautiful sentiment. But I also mm-hmm. made sure that what we had, the time that I carved out was about them and was about love. And was, I mean, we go roller skating on the weekends. It's one of my favorite, make memories with your kids. I redefined a lot of words for myself to make life work. When I was in my 20s, the word all was 2.5 kids and a rich husband and blah, blah, blah. I didn't have that. I was a struggling actress. And I said, but how can I have it all? And I flipped it on its head and I said, A-L-L becomes a loving life. Okay, I have it all. Then I took the word diet because I was overweight most of my life. My mom was 260 pounds. And I said, you know, diet's not working. Oh, I know what diet means. Decisions I eat today. Mm. And then that mom thing, because all of a sudden I waited a lot, a long time to get these two beautiful kids. And then it's like, mom, can I have this? Mom, can I have Like, how did that get to be such a bad word? And then I stopped for a second and said, let's redefine mom. M-O-M means moments of memories. Oh, wow. If you think about your mom, you have a handful of real memories if you don't look at photos. What are they? You don't remember the one birthday party that didn't go the right way or the time she missed, you, you don't. I, I'm, my parents are gone 22 years, I have a handful of memories. And so then I set out, said, well, if I could deconstruct that and create the memories, like I said, my daughter, we were in one of the first Airbnbs ever in France. She can tell you that we got there early, it was hard to get in and we went down the street and had the best hamburger we've ever had. How do you remember a hamburger? Mm. And I can look at each other and remember that moment or the moment where we slept on a train with each other cramped going down from, from England to France. I always find great memories of when you travel. So I take my kids places and those are definitely markers. And, we, and then I reiterate those because at some point I want them to remember that. Uh, and they almost all travel, but we have this as our thing. And then for DAD, have you ever heard the song, uh, Cats in the Cradle? Sure. Right. I cannot, since I've had my babies, cannot listen to that without crying because I am very busy. And I remember moments where I'm like, I don't have time for you. And then I go, yeah, wait a second here. At the end of their lives or at the end of your life, you don't lie in a bed going, I wish I'd worked one more day or had one more Google ad. Like (laughs) your kids are there holding your hands and loving you and say, you did a great job and I love you. Mm, Very emotional right now. It's my first take. And, um, And so DAD became dedication and devotion. If you dedicate and devote yourself to your work, your kids will just see you. If you dedicate and devote the time and energy they need, because at the end of the day, all kids really want is you. They want to throw the ball. They want to know you love them. They want to know you respect them. And all the money in the world, because I've talked to a lot of kids and I fix a lot of people. I have a training called Breakthrough, where I take emotionally traumatized people through a phenomenal journey. It's my heart passion. I don't advertise that I do this. All my students know I do this. And 
that's all anybody ever wanted was just to know that they're enough, that they are loved and they matter. That's amazing, Forbes. Thank you for sharing that with me. You're welcome. Change a Google ad for a little parenting advice. Uh, <laughs> so when you want to learn something new, do you have a system that you approach something new? I, I do, actually. It's funny that you bring that up. I'm obsessed with habit formation. When I, you know, if I ever extricate myself from my business, my, my uh, little pipe dream is to be the world authority in, in building habits. And um, I think habits are the most important thing that somebody can do for themselves personally, because how you spend your day is how you spend your life. And so I like to habituate learning. I really like Hal Elrod's um, sabers. If you've read The Miracle Morning, um, silence, affirmation, visualization, exercise, reading, scribing. Um, and then in the reading, I usually dedicate that to whatever it is that I'm trying to learn. And when I'm trying to learn something, I like to go all in. So if I want to learn piano, I'm going to spend 10 weeks. And 10 weeks is a data-driven truth. It takes 66 days to form a habit. I round up to 70 days, 10 weeks. And... Um, if you spend one day for about, it needs to be about a half hour to minimum, but I actually don't recommend doing it much longer. Uh, sometimes I'll go an hour or two if I'm really on a roll and I feel it. Um, but if you go too, too long, you exhaust yourself and it becomes harder the next day. But by the end of 10 weeks, I feel very strongly that you should be able to do just about anything. I mean, code, learn a language, um, build a house, like there's very little you can't accomplish from a learning perspective in that, in that little epoch, or at least have the foundation for it. So you're not going to be a concert pianist by any means, but you're going to be able to read music. Um, and that's served me really well too. Fascinating. I co-authored a book, actually a whole series of books uh, called it's the company's called one habit.com. And that oh, is no way. Yeah. And so one book that we did was one habit for entrepreneurial success. I have a hundred amazing authors in that book. And the second one we did was uh, one habit a day to thrive in a post COVID world, one habit to get over addictions. And the whole premise behind that book is you flip through it. And every chapter is about two and a half pages long. It's somebody's suggestion of a habit, what they do and why they do it. And an unhabit of what they do and why they do it. Uh, it's pretty fascinating. Unfortunately, my beautiful partner, got sick and died. And I have to be careful what you say to yourself. I'm a big neuroscientist. And so when you say I'm working myself to death, guess what? Maybe you are. Yeah, maybe you are. Yeah. No. I'm sorry that happened. Yeah, I know. And if you go, wow, if life happens for you, not to you, what am I supposed to do about that one? I do have a, I have a program going on right now. One of the books that I wrote about habits of the eternal and that what we do in this journal, because I also figure out things to work for me. And it was a journal for what you eat, but for what's eating you. And every day you write down, on one side, just to observe what you eat. Who knows what you eat, right? Mm. The other day, it's a one, uh, one exercise to just start your own personal development journey. Fascinating. Tell me about your wife. My wife's amazing. I'm married up. Um, she, she has a degree in international human rights. She's been to the Middle East peacekeeping. She's been tear gas. She started the One Foundation in her school. She was Miss Arab USA in 2012. Um, she doesn't like me telling people that she works for not my kid is an anti-bullying speaker. She's a powerhouse. She just published her first book. She's writing her second. The book is on uh, postpartum depression. It's called postpartum me. Um, she's just this amazing, powerful empath. And she's the type of person that can, um, she can take a lot. You know, and, and I think that you have to be that personality type to do the things that she does. Uh, she's worked with invisible children. She's helped with um, sex trafficking uh, victims. I just, just really, really phenomenal human being. Uh, forward me because she needs to be a guest on my podcast. Hello. I think she would love that. Yeah. When you first met, where was it and what was it like? We met on the set of a, well, no, I, 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 we started dating on the set of a GoDaddy commercial. We were both wannabe actors. Um, 
we, we met in an acting studio and I thought she was an idiot. Um, I thought mine was too. Did you really? That's so funny. Yeah. Well, she was hanging out with somebody that I didn't care for very more. Think like quintessential mean girl, just kind of like, you know, the, the uppity model actress types. And I was like, all right, here we go. Here's another one. And she just happened to have been paired with this other gal because they were in scene study, but I was a little dismissive and which she didn't take kindly to. She'll tell you if you ever ask her. Oh, um, I will. Six, sorry. <laughs> oh, I will. Yeah. It's six months later, we're on the set of a GoDaddy commercial and I'm, it was the GoDaddy commercial that got banned. And so I'm, I'm dressed up as a fashion designer. I'm in full drag. I've got booty shorts, a fishnet uh, shirt, makeup, and and my wife is sitting there and she's reading Howard Zinn's A Brief History of the United States or something, something that I'm just like, all right, she's definitely not a dummy. Um, and so I walked up and, and started chatting her up and uh, I saw her every single day for six days. I didn't play it cool. I said, you know, hey, I want to I want to see you today. I'm going to see you tomorrow. And then and, and this is over Christmas, too. I saw her Christmas Day. Um, and I just knew like she was just I just zeroed in, felt like a hunter. I was like, I have to be with this woman forever. Um, and how, and how it's been awesome. At the time? I was 24. Wow. It's very young. Good for yeah. you. Yeah. Mine is a two time world champion fitness model is one of the most beautiful physical men I've ever seen. And when I met him, I'm like, oh, dear God, really? <laughs> Oh, and he's 17 years younger. Not typically my type, not something I'm going after, but luckily he chased me. Who knew? That's so cool. Oh, yeah. And we talk about it all the time, how important it is, how important our relationship is. He's my second you know, husband, and that's just the best thing in the entire world to be loved on by someone who is the best looking man naked I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, that's helpful, I imagine. Well, but he likes to post some of those. If Take a look at him. Yeah, write this down. I've written down a lot of notes. His name is Joshua Self. Also, you're going to meet a man whose last name is Selfie. Like, seriously, you're the ultimate Selfie, please. <laughs> and it turned out to be I'm selfish, self-disciplined, self-involved, and self-love. Who knew? I know. I have a whole entire book about that. Wow. So cool. What did you name your children? Uh, Samir is my eldest son. He's named after my little brother. Uh, we call him Sammy. And then Ronin is uh, my youngest. It, it means little seal in Gaelic. And what's funny is my wife is Palestinian, so she's darker complected. And my son came out with uh, blue eyes. Uh, Auburn hair. He looks Irish and he, he looks Irish and we think it's because we gave him an Irish name. She and I both love Ireland. We plan on retiring there. Um, there's a little town south of Cork called Kinsale, which is, it's just, it's just heaven. And, uh, and now Ronan, he's funny. Sammy's he's, he's so soft, kind, generous, um, a little sensitive, but Ronan is a bowling ball. He's a, he's a, just a force of nature. And he tells everybody, if you ask him what he's going to be, he says he's going to be a Navy SEAL, which is funny because his name means little seal. So he, he lives up to his namesake. Wow. Wow. How fascinating. All right. We're coming down to the end of one of the most fascinating hours. And I truly appreciate you very much. Just as a human being, it's nice to have met you. I, I had a chance to meet um, a gentleman who's got a very, very high IQ. Uh, his name has escaped me. He created the TV series Scorpion. And that was a real anti-terrorist thing that he created. And he's a very, very high IQ. And they'll tell you that, like one of the top six in the world. I got off the phone with him one day and I realized how much fun it was to talk to somebody that I didn't have to talk down to that I could talk at and enjoy mm -hmm. and feel like I have to stay on my A game. You've done that for me and I appreciate that very much. Well, I appreciate you having me, Riley. This was very, very helpful. And, and congratulations, by the way, Dr. Riley, I should be saying. I know, I'm, 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 pretty, I'm pretty darn excited. Uh, and I would love to professionally have a conversation with you. One, I think you'd be a great influence. I think my daughter needs to hear this podcast and professionally some things we can do together. I've got a lot of people listening live right now. 
what would you say to them about their business owners? They're not as successful as they could be. There's so many things they don't know. What would you say? I'd say don't show up late to really important interviews is number one. <laughs> I'm so, so sorry. Number two is um, it's time. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book and he talked about 10,000 hours. And I know that sounds overwhelming and tedious, but it's just so, so, so true. I'm not the number one Google ads agency because I'm smarter than anybody else. I just stuck it out and just stick it out. And, and there's so much to be said for that level of resilience. That's what it takes. Um, put in the time and, and do exactly what you're doing now. You're listening to someone who's, who's very successful, brilliant, and is offering her wisdom up. And, and I think you're in the exact right room. Well, I appreciate that. I would love to hear you speak a little more about business culture. Um, we have a mastermind with many, many hundreds of people who attend every Wednesday and then thousands who listen over the course. It's not the radio show, but I would love to have you as live in that room. We've had some remarkable guests. And this is my personal struggle right now to grow the company with people. And I loved how you talked about your culture. I've never had anyone say what you've said the way you've said it. And I've got two 19-year-olds. I don't think you're going to hear that in business college. I don't know where you would ever hear it. And you're doing it. 70 is a lot of people. We're at 15 and we're, we've hit a wall where I'm not sure mentor-wise who I ask this question to. So I think uh, even at your tender young age, that that's something you have totally nailed. I'd love to help. However I can, please let me know. I'd love to serve. Well, I appreciate that. Um, you guys are all listening. Uh, just send some love if you would in our Facebook group. This is wild. I also have 1.8 million fans. I will promote this out too if it can help you in any way. How do people find out more about what you're up to? I shoot a YouTube video every day. If you can't find me on YouTube, I'm not good at what I'm doing. Um, my business is called <laughs> Solutions 8. So you can look for Solutions 8, look for Qasim. I'm the only Qasim Oslo on this side of the pond. Oh, I pronounced you wrong. And you were so sweet. I didn't. I said your name wrong. So Qasim. Um, yeah, it's like awesome with a K and I'm used to it. It doesn't bother me at all. Awesome with a K. Oh, dear God, you've got this going on. Hey, I'm Forbes. Forbes Riley. Forbes is in the magazine. Maybe successful people just know how to introduce themselves. <laughs> yeah. You are amazing. All right, I'm going to send you off. I will be in touch. I'm going to ask you for your address because you and your wife both need to know what a spin gym is. You have no idea how sexy and toned your arms can be. It also makes amazing jewelry. And, oh, and by the way, for your boys, oh, for sports, let me tell you something. Toning posture, so important for little ones who are hunched over. So we'll have that conversation. And uh, on that note, will everybody just give him a big love and mwah. thank you so very much, my dear friend. Thank you, Forbes. Appreciate you. All right. For those of you continuing on, I've just got about a minute left. I just want to share with you how blessed I feel to attract the right people at the right time. I think if you're listening, it's because you're ready to up-level your life, up-level your business. It is called Forbes Factor for a reason. I focus on health, wealth, and happiness. They go hand in hand. And today, man, Kasim, awesome with a K, such a powerful episode. Guys, I'll see you again next week. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you for making the Forbes Factor an important part of your week. Be sure to join Forbes Riley again next Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. We'll see you again soon.